Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. <laughs> Alright, what's up everybody? Welcome to Pursuit of Balance. Today we're going to go over the best way to taking carbs, to handle carbs. We're just talking all thin carbs today. You know, like, should you be scared of them? Should you be taking in? And if you are taking them in, what's the best way to organize them so you can be most effective from a glucose metabolism standpoint, uh, from a weight loss perspective, from a health standpoint? Uh, I think out of all the macronutrients, obviously carbs tends to be demonized the most. And uh, if I were to just open up with a nice blanket statement, you should not be scared of carbs. But you should be very structured on how you're using your carbs, right? I think it's very probably one of the easiest macronutrients, probably second to fat, if not number one to fat, um, of just going overboard, right? Especially when it comes to like processed and refined foods and those type of carbohydrates versus like actual structured cellular carbs. Um, which I'll go over all those kind of details today. Um, because out of all the things when I talk about diet, I think this obviously tends to be the conversation around from a client perspective of like, how do I still have carbs? Or is there a way that can I still have a, a diet or a nutrition plan that still has carbs? And the answer is like, absolutely. Uh, I think I tend to work more from a place of trying to focus more on high satiety based foods. So protein, um, animal based protein, because ideally that's going to come with a nice balance of protein and fat and then focusing on kind of fibrous, uh, fruits and vegetables, you know, carbs that come from planet earth. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, if I were to give you guys the easiest diet in the world, it's like just eat, eat things that come from planet earth is a really, 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 really good place to start. Um, anything that comes in a package or a box or is processed, refined, um, it's just going to be easier for you to go overboard on. I don't think it's necessarily something that should be completely demonized that you can't have it ever. Um, because that very binary lens of looking at diet as something that's good or bad for you, uh, I think it's just a bad place from a mindset perspective to be kind of just looking at just nutrition in general. I'd rather it become from a place of like, okay, well, what's the best way for us to have a nutrition plan that feels sustainable, that feels that we can still kind of implement it long term so it's more of kind of a lifestyle versus this kind of very atypical, we're going to diet for six weeks, we're going to get ready for summer, we're going to get ready for an event, we're going to kind of fall off, we're going to start over. You know, and I think there was this article that came out, I want to say it was last year, that was saying that the average, I think it was a female-based study too, that was saying that the average female starts and quits a diet seven times in a year, which I thought was kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, and I think it's mind blowing because like I work with a lot of clients, obviously in the health and fitness industry, and I don't really hear that many times that someone starts and finish or starts and quit. But if that's the case, that's the case. It's obviously a lot of times it's trial and error and people are having more error. Um, the problem with the diet mentality, obviously, is you're going to end up every time that you go very extreme and then you fall off metabolically, you're just making it a lot harder for your body to kind of rebalance itself. Hormonally, you're making it a lot harder for your body to kind of rebalance itself. So I'd much rather obviously always play the long game. Um, so we need to find things that are more sustainable, right? So knowing that sustainability is going to be kind of the overarching approach and knowing that carbs tends to be the weakness for most people, um, that's what today's podcast is going to be focused on. It's like, what's the best way for us to be able to still handle carbs, still eat carbs? And then when we are eating them, how do I best structure that kind of event around it where I can actually utilize those carbs really, really effectively, right? So for me, the first thing I want to kind of use as an opening statement, I kind of have some notes that I wrote down for today, um, for once. Uh, number one is understanding that the metabolic machinery of muscle is the thing that's going to really allow you to have a high glucose tolerance. It's going to help with insulin sensitivity. 
So when it comes to eating carbohydrates, when it comes to, you know, I think the big fear around carbs is always people like to talk about blood sugar, right? Like blood sugar is going to go up. It's going to spike your blood sugar. Insulin's going to raise. Um, and then your body's going to obviously start shuttling nutrients into the cells, both, you know, muscle, liver, or fat, depending on kind of activity. There's a lot of nuance to that. But one thing to remember is when it comes to fat loss, fat loss is almost impossible, if not damn near impossible when insulin is really, really low. So when we have these things where we have insulin spikes that generally be, tend to be followed by a glucose spike, um, that's naturally where most people are going to start to just pack on the pounds or the weight or have more stored energy. Um, and like I said, that depends on activity overall. But the number one way to really kind of help you um, bulletproof yourself against carbohydrates and being able to kind of have a higher tolerance for it is by having more muscle mass, right? Because muscle itself, like I said, is very, very metabolic, meaning that there's a really big demand every day from your muscle for energy, right? Um, fat does, you know, if you look at like, I don't know if you've, anybody's heard of like brown adipose tissue versus white or beige, there's different types of fat tissue actually. And this is something that I learned. Um, probably a year or two ago, which I thought was pretty interesting. And like brown fat actually has higher mitochondria kind of capacity and density. So it actually does have some demand for energy. And this is why things like uh, cold exposure and things like that will actually help improve brown adipose tissue. Um, but not to get too kind of detailed here is when you think about overall from, uh, from a weight loss perspective and a health perspective, longevity can kind of be an in-between subject for muscle mass, right? Because having more muscle mass comes at a cost as well, right? Just because something burns more energy doesn't necessarily mean it's it's a 100% a good thing. There comes a cost to a certain extent, right? So I think as we get older, it's more important for us to be having more protein in the diet, maintaining as much strength and muscle mass as we can because that naturally diminishes past a certain age. So from a specifically carb conversation today, you know, this is a famous statement that a lot of people make. It's like, oh, I train so I can eat whatever I want, or I train so I can drink, or I train whatever, right? Um, and carbohydrates, and what I'll talk about this right now in a second, is like they come in so many different forms. But utilizing those carbs is meaning we want to have high insulin sensitivity, right? So doing it after a workout, a timing thing, having more muscle, those are like little opportunities where your body actually can handle more carbohydrates. So if you're someone that's only doing cardio-based exercise, um, your body will be really, really effective at utilizing those carbs around exercise time. Or if you're just someone that's really like in the high end of the spectrum of very, very aerobic-based training, your body can handle a lot more carbohydrates just due to the fact that it's burning so much more than a typical person. But at rest as well, if you're someone that has more muscle mass, you're someone that's going to be able to handle a lot more carbohydrates just due to the fact that you're so insulin sensitive because the metabolic machinery and muscles will be able to help with that, right? So that's number one is when you guys look at like, can I have more carbs? The number one thing for me is like, yeah, just exercise more. Like the more strength training we can do ideally to build muscle and the more training overall, both aerobically and strength based wise, um, it's going to be, a, it's going to allow you to handle so much more when it comes to carbohydrates. So for me, like I'm someone that's more ectomorphic, a little bit leaner. I'm a hard gainer. It's hard for me to kind of put muscle on and keep muscle on. Um, so I definitely have carbohydrates in my diet. I tend to cycle them, which I'll talk about here in a second on kind of how I structure my day with carbs. But carbs are definitely not something I shy away from, right? So for me, when I look at carbohydrate intake is the fact that I do train five, six days a week, the fact that you do have more muscle, the fact that you do have more activity, you should also have more carbohydrates, right? Going into more of like a keto type of diet or 50 grams or less of carbohydrates, 
maybe it's sometimes a good way to uh, reverse some things for people that are insulin resistant. Um, obviously, there's other medical reasons, which I'm not going to talk about today, that you can use keto for. Um, but I don't. it's not something that's great long-term. And due to the fact that you lose insulin sensitivity and you lose carb tolerance, um, so I think it's sometimes a great way to kind of get you – off of some of the habits that you've created yourself. So if you're someone that is kind of a sugar addict or someone that craves some of those things, like kind of resetting the body and doing more fasting protocols and more keto kind of approach in the beginning for a few weeks or months is a great way. But ideally, we want to have carbs because from a sustainability approach, it's a lot easier to maintain a diet that has carbs because everything that tastes good in life has carbs. And more importantly, it's just like it gives you a little bit more balance in the approach, right? So number two is kind of... um. And I don't really have these in any particular order, but I put carbs earlier in the day and carbs when sun is shining, right? So what I mean by that is like you you lose insulin sensitivity as the day goes on, meaning your body is actually more insulin sensitive in the beginning, in the first half of your day than it is in the second half. And it definitely loses a lot of that insulin sensitivity as soon as the sun goes down. So if you're someone that's having a really, really big dinner um, and a very carb-rich dinner or a lot of sugar or a big dessert or a lot of alcohol at night, your body's not effective or as effective, I'm sorry, at taking and shuttling those nutrients in a good way. So you end up storing a lot more towards the end of the night. And obviously the blanket statement of like calories in, calories out, and if I'm only, if I'm still under eating, is that going to affect me from a weight loss perspective? Yes and no. Um, if you're under eating still overall throughout the day or the week or whatever you're measuring it by, then yeah, it's like it still give you some result. But you would just be more effective having that same carbohydrates or those same carbohydrates in the beginning part of the day, right? So a piece of advice I would give you guys, and now I'm going to tell you out of all the things that I wrote down today, I think this is the one that I struggle with the most because a lot of times I end up getting into my day and if I don't eat breakfast at home, I'll either have something small at work or a coffee, or eventually I'll get something when lunch happens. Um, and those days, the ones where I go home and I'm just fucking starving, and I'm absolutely just like, wow, I'll eat anything in this house. And yesterday was a perfect example, which was funny as I was writing all these notes down yesterday. I was like, wow, this is literally the thing that I'm supposed to be teaching everybody about that I struggle with. So out of everything, I understand this. So here's the best way to kind of work around this. Number one, just get more calories overall during the daylight. And number two, from a carbohydrate perspective, just like we talked about, same thing. Get more carbs in the lunchtime. Get more carbs in the breakfast even if you need it. Um, have more carbohydrates even around your workout time. So me personally, I work out from 1 to 3 during the weekdays. Weekends is kind of generally maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, but I tend to have my biggest carb meal right after my workout, right? Um, and if I get enough calories in and I get enough nutrients in, I don't have as big of a craving at towards the nighttime. Um, but more importantly, too, like just to kind of talk about the timing of it, if like I get off at five or six, I need to try to get in a better habit of just like getting right into cooking and right into eating versus taking my time, unwinding, pouring myself a glass of wine. You know, talking to my girlfriend, showering, and then starting to cook around eight. It's like I can do all those things, just kind of reverse the order. Um, so I'm talking from experience here. Is like I'm definitely not perfect on those things, but from an insulin sensitivity standpoint, from a glucose tolerance, from a health perspective, from a sleep perspective, from all things freaking health, the more you can get more of your carbs and calories during the daylight hours, 
the better place you're going to be in, right? So that's a really, really effective tool when it comes to carbs is try to keep more of those around probably midday. Um, the one thing I will tell you about morning is be aware of the type of carbs, which is another note that I have. So this is uh, called cellular carbs, right? Which is basically the concept. It's a fancy word that people like to use kind of in the nutrition space sometimes uh, of just what I call fibrous carbohydrates. So the third piece of today is try to take in more carbohydrates that come from planet Earth, right? Like the less you can stay off of like pasta and bread and packaged foods and candies and bars and cereals and grains, um, the better place you're going to be. The more you can get things that like come from a ground or the tree like vegetables and fruits and probably even more fruits the cool thing about fruits from just research and self-exploration that i've learned is fruit especially in season uh, i made a post about this um is it's easier to digest than certain vegetables i think the one thing that kind of vegetables can come there's a lot of context to this so i don't want to be saying something that's going to get taken out of line but what I mean is like there's a lot of anti-nutrients in certain foods, so phytates and oxalates and lectins and things like that. And these anti-nutrients can, you know, obviously inhibit some absorption on vitamins and minerals and nutrients overall. Uh, and it kind of it upsets your gut a little bit. And I think there's certain people, and I'll vouch for certain things. Like I'm kind of like that with green beans. We were just talking about this on Monday when we had it. Uh, like green beans, just like they're harder for me to eat. They don't really digest very well. I feel like. So there's certain foods on a vegetable standpoint you kind of need to be aware of. Obviously, cooking them correctly can mitigate a lot of the anti-nutrient perspective of it. Um, so making sure that things are easier in your gut. Fruit for me, it's like it is super easy in my gut. Um, and to be honest with you, if I'm actually not feeling 100% gut-wise or stomach-wise, fruit's always the thing that kind of just feels like makes me feel good. It's easy to digest, right? So when it comes to cellular carbs, and what I mean by that is try to eat more fruits, eat more vegetables. And when it comes to fruits, just kind of give you guys a little insight of the post for those that didn't see it. Um, Mother nature is actually a pretty cool thing. If you look at the cycles of life and cycles of nature generally, um, fruit's not grown 365 days a year organically by itself, right? Obviously now with kind of different styles of farming and culture, like there's ways to kind of make this work. Um, the fact that we're importing so many things too, it's like I can get avocados 365 days a year from Mexico. Um, but if you look at a very local perspective of fruit and you try to really focus on this, and I think my biggest piece of advice, and I might've said this in previous podcasts, is if you go to a farmer's market, they're not going to be selling a lot of pineapples or things that maybe don't grow here in Palo Alto or in the Bay Area, right? They're going to get a lot of the local fruits, like the berries and things like that. Um, so I always think it's a good place to start with is like when you eat in season, you tend to eat a little bit more in accordance for your kind of environment, right? And why this is important to know um, is eating pineapples in December in Palo Alto, you would think would be a better choice. And, and, you, and it's not to think, it's obviously a fact too. It's a better choice than like eating something like a candy bar or something completely processed for a fine. And they might even be the same carbohydrates, right? And I think just some of that from the ingredient standpoint. But that being said, the reason why Mother Nature is seasonal with its approach of fruiting things is when you have a lot of fruit when the sun is out, you have to remember that sun, this is another note that I put here, is carbs in the summer where your body can deal better and sunlight to help glucose metabolism. Um, I've done more research in this space, uh, and I kind of been more fascinated by this space, I think, more than anything from a nutritional standpoint, especially, but health overall, is the fact that glucose or sunlight actually improves glucose metabolism. So being out in the sun um, and the effects and the power of kind of powerful healing effects of it, they actually allow you to metabolize glucose a lot more effectively. 
Second thing about eating more in the summer is when you're eating in the summer, you're you're going to have more movement, right? And I'll just give you a simple fact. When it's raining and it's cold and it's foggy, I naturally tend to just be moving less, less motivated. Um, so there's less movement overall. There's less energy expenditure. Um, so knowing that, that when it's hot, there's going to be more fruit, a.k.a. Mother Earth is producing more carbohydrates organically. Um, your The sunlight is going to improve glucose metabolism. The movement is going to allow you to take in more glucose or take in more carbs or take in more calories, obviously, overall, that we should kind of look at those things as being parallels to each other, meaning when the sun is out, when the sun is shining, fruits are out and movement's better, we can handle more carbs. So something that I like to preach now is when you get into warmer months, have a little bit more carbohydrates, maybe reduce some of the fat if you need to, if you're taking a, a, a lot of carbohydrates in, but having a little bit more carbs and actually more calories is going to be okay because you're going to have a higher expenditure. You're going to have a better kind of glucose tolerance and basically making you more insulin sensitive, which is what we want. Um, and as we get into winter months, I think we should start to reduce some of the carbohydrates, focus maybe more on root vegetables, focus a lot more on animal protein and more of kind of like a keto-ish, carnivore-ish kind of style of eating during the winter months. Because eating more protein and fat and eating more in kind of that realm is probably more parallel and conducive to the type of environment we would have lived in. You know, and I, I like this primal way of thinking and it's ancestral, whatever we want to call it, because when you think about food, Mother Nature kind of keeps us in perfect alignment if you actually think about where you live and eating in accordance to that landscape. Um, because we're not having a lot of fruit or access to it during the winter months, right? We have things like oranges or like there's obviously things in season during that time, but there's going to be a lot less during those warmer months, right? So an easy way to think about carbohydrates is eat more of it when they're actually in season and eat more of it when the sun is shining because your body will be able to kind of mitigate and handle so much more effectively and handle more of it. Um, so that's obviously a big thing, right? So the second thing or second thing, I'm on like my fifth thing. I'm just looking at these notes randomly now. Uh, protein before carbs, right? So I think another one big piece that I learned from blood sugar when I tracked my blood sugar and a kind of a cool tip overall is when you have carbohydrates, like I'm a big, uh, personally, I'm a big jasmine rice, white rice person. And white rice, to be honest with you, is kind of the lever that I use for performance and activity. Um, and that's kind of now been a little bit more aligned with fruit as well. So what I mean by that is when I'm training hard or I'm training a lot or I'm outdoors a lot, there's more movement. I definitely have a lot of carbs in my diet. Um, and I tend to have more white rice and I tend to have more fruit, but white rice has always been kind of that lever. But if I have something like, I'm just going to make something up. What did I have yesterday for lunch? I had chicken breast. Oh, it was boring. Chicken breast, white rice, and green beans and mushrooms. So when you eat how you eat is also important, right? So what I mean by that is like the order that you eat in things is like if I were to have my pro my vegetables, my protein and fat first, or almost majority of all of that first, and then my white rice, um, the blood sugar spike is going to be less dramatic, right? If I have my white rice first, and then I had my protein and my vegetables, which is what most people do, we go carbs, protein, then veggies. And I remember this as a child. And if you're a parent listening to this, you know how your kids work. Um, you're going to have a very, very dramatic blood sugar spike. And the reason why is that fiber from the vegetables or the fruit um, or the protein and the fat, it kind of gets into the stomach and the intestine and the, go, the, the whole digestive tract, right? And it starts to kind of coat that, right? And the cool thing about fat and fiber is they actually kind of mitigate and slow down a lot of the blood sugar and some of the absorption and kind of slows things down, which is good because it gives us more satiety with our eating. 
Um, and I think that's a huge piece when you look at blood sugar and you look at long-term success with just health and weight loss in general is we want to be able to control blood sugar. So this way we can control insulin because like we said, the more dramatic the blood sugar, the more dramatic the insulin spike is. Um, so the more we can keep the blood sugar kind of in an even keel, it has its ebbs and flows. It's definitely going to go up and down. But the more we can kind of narrow the window of the apex and the bottom, um, the better off you're going to be when it comes to that. So that's a big piece is when you guys eat your carbs, try to eat them last. So a good way to think about this is, you know, fruit is a fibrous carbohydrate. So like eating vegetables, vegetables have really little to no carbohydrates, um, unless you're eating something like a root vegetable, like a potato or things like that. Um, but if you save those things towards the end of the dish, like try to think about carbs as almost like the dessert, um, and eat protein, fat, and low carbohydrate fibrous carbs first, your body's going to do a lot better job just because it's using the fiber and the fat to mitigate the blood sugar spike. So that's going to be a big thing for that overall. Uh, it's how you eat those things, right? And you're really chewing slow and making sure you're not overeating because that blood sugar spike will be so much more dramatic. Um, and then the last thing that I have, um, unless anything pops in my brain that I missed yesterday, was moving after eating and moving after carbs especially. So this can be kind of two-sided. So what I mean by that is you can have more carbohydrates before workout to fuel some of the workout, or you can be one of those people that likes to look at carbs as a replenishment tool. Um, I personally am kind of more on that side, uh, the latter of looking at carbs as something that I have after my workout, unless I'm doing like a big event or a big kind of workout, but I can tell you the last time I've done one of those. So like, I don't do that much. I tend to look at carbs as being the thing that I like to have after my workout because um, I just look at it as like, okay, I just burned through a lot of carbohydrates, so I'm going to give my body the carbs that I just burned through. Um, your body can only store a certain amount of glucose in the muscle and the liver. So obviously past a certain point, your body begins to store those things. Um, this is why carbs, I think, are the most sensitive for people to have the possibility of overeating and gaining weight. So moving around is a good way to kind of mitigate blood sugar again. It's a good way to kind of get the digestive tract to move a little bit. So um, this is something that if you follow me personally, I preach all the time. I think walking is the most underrated tool in the world uh, from a health perspective, from an exercise perspective, from a posture perspective. Um, so if you can learn to move and walk after your meals, um, I don't think you should be walking during your eating. I think you should be sitting down, enjoying and kind of de-stressing yourself, eating in a very relaxed state. But as soon as you finish, I think it's good to have a little light walk, right? So after breakfast, after lunch, after dinner, if you can, the more movement, the better, because your body's going to be able to shuttle a lot of these nutrients to shuttle that glucose into the, the muscle, into the right ways, and so your body can actually burn it more effectively. So when you look at carbs, just think about that, right? The more muscle we have, the better. The more activity we have, the more tolerance to carbs, and the more kind of budget we have for carbs, right? The type of carbs you're eating, eating fruits and vegetables and cellular carbs, things that have like cell walls and structure around them that mitigate the fiber and the carbohydrate and the glucose for fructose release is very different than having something like a Snickers bar. Um, protein before carbs, proteins, fats, and fiber before carbs is obviously going to be a big one. More carbs in the summer where your body can deal with it better. Having more carbs during sunlight because your body can actually improve its glucose metabolism with sunlight. Um, and like I said, carbs during the sunlight hours or earlier in the day, ideally, and moving around after your carbs. These are the things that I wrote down for you guys when it comes to carbs 101. How do I take them? Can I have them? And how much should I be taking in? Which is the last piece I want to kind of leave you guys with. When it comes to carbs, there is a big... Um, how would I say this? There's a pretty big spectrum on how much you actually can take in, right? Um, there was times in my training when I was training really, really hard where I was probably doing two, two and a half X my carbs, right? Of body weight, right? So if I'm a 200 pound male, I was having upwards of 400 grams of carbs when I was training really, really hard. Um, I think a great starting point for most people that have a good amount of activity that are pretty metabolically flexible and kind of gotten into a decent body fat perspective, you could probably still handle close to like 
a gram per pound, right? I think overall, like I always tell people, like a gram and then like a gram, 1.5 grams with carbs and fats being part of that conversation. Generally, people that I talk to, especially in this area, tend to like a little bit more carbs and fats, which is cool. So a gram per pound, if you're a 150 pound person, you can have 150 grams of carbs. If you're looking at someone that's more like keto style approaching, or if you're someone that's maybe listening to this, that's just starting their weight loss journey, or it's a higher body fat percentage or struggles with diet, maybe starting off in the beginning with a little bit more of an aggressive carb cut is a probably good tool to start off with. Uh, and I generally like to look at that being a quarter to a half a gram per pound, right? So if I'm a 200 pound male, starting with 50 grams a day of carbs is pretty extreme. Um, and maybe what I like to do for people that are starting off with this is having a quarter of your body weight in grams of carbs on the days you don't train and the days you do train having a half or having maybe even upwards of having one gram per pound, um, is a great way to kind of carb cycle as well. I think carb cycling is a very, very effective tool. Um, for me personally, it worked. I did a lot of this during my show prep. I do a lot of this with clients. Uh, I think uh, the easiest way to carb cycle for you guys is carb cycling can be done in a very structured manner week by week, day by day throughout the entire year. It can be done in a very cyclical manner over by season. Um, so what I mean by that by season is the colder months, you eat a lot less carbs. And the warmer months, you eat a lot more carbs. That's carb cycling in a macro scale. Um, or you can do it where you do carb backloading, right? Where you keep most of your carbs towards the the lunch meal or the dinner meal and having your dinner earlier enough where it's still in the sun. I know it's kind of maybe a little counterintuitive to what I just said, um, but that's carb cycling because maybe one or two meals a day don't have any carbs and then one meal does, right? That's a form of daily carb cycling. Then there's weekly carb cycling where you say, hey, maybe on the days that I train or work out, I eat a little bit more carbohydrates. I have one gram per pound. And the days I don't train, I try to keep it to a quarter or a half a gram per pound. Um, that's a way to kind of do it week by week. So there's so many different like formats of carb cycling. Obviously, from a sustainability approach, I would definitely preach that you find something that's more sustainable for you. Carb cycling out of all the tools that I've used in the diet world, I think is probably be the most effective. It's a great way to keep calories down because you're removing a macronutrient or reducing it to a pretty big extreme. Um, but also from an insulin sensitivity standpoint, from a health perspective standpoint, I don't think it's good to have carbs high all the freaking time because the when you go down this kind of blood sugar roller coaster or you become more of a carbaholic, your body starts to crave it more and the cravings are the things that are get you in trouble because that's when it makes it very easy to overeat. And when you overeat, that's where all the health things kind of follow suit. So carb cycling is a really great way for us to like build tolerance to not craving those things and understanding that your insulin sensitivity is going to be based off how you actually structure your diet. If you're eating the same thing all the time, you start to lose some of that sensitivity. Um, it's the same thing with like fasting too much or eating in keto too long as you lose insulin sensitivity. So it goes both ways. Um, so just think about that when you guys are having carbs, right? All right. Well, that's all I have written down. That's all I have to kind of speak via off my mind as always. Um, other than that, have a great day as always. I'll talk to you guys next week. If you guys have any suggestions for me, I appreciate them as always. And other than that, take care. See ya.